You're listening to the Elmira Radio Hour, a podcast that opens the door to culture and news you definitely missed this week. We're, we're your, your hosts, hosts, Nina Bhattacharya and Sheila Lal. This week, we're talking about acupuncture, compensating art, negative externalities, value outside of profit, and implications of sexual assault and violence in the U.S. Let's jump in. <laughs> So I recently saw that you went to acupuncture. Yes. So I have had like a, a weird rash of health problems recently, like kind of minor ones, but ones that um, are really putting a dent in my ability to live comfortably. So I all of a sudden, like I got really bad heartburn, like such bad heartburn that I couldn't eat or really stand. Um, and I was dealing with it with like Tums and Omeprazole and finally eating like yogurt and some dairy, but it wasn't really subsiding. I also had a weird amount of back pain. And I talked to my parents and they're like, it could just be pre-final stress. Keep in mind, like my stress is manifesting in really bizarre ways. So that's not out of the ordinary, mm-hmm. I guess, or I shouldn't rule it out. Mm-hmm. But I looked up uh, community acupuncture and it's something I'd been wanting to test out uh, in Missouri. And so uh, it, I had some time. There's a community acupuncture place like about a half mile away from school, took the bus down and it was such a delightful experience. Um, I I went in, like I booked an appointment in a class and uh, went in, talked to the guy about what I was needing, like other tools I'd been using to cope with different health, mental health, physical health stuff. And he was like, okay, it sounds like you are doing the right things and this is just something to add on and like elevate your wellness. Um, so he puts me in, and the good thing about community acupuncture is that it's in a big room with other people. Yes, I so have done community the- acupuncture too, and it's really, yes. really lovely. So I, I wanted us to I both know. talk about our experiences just because it's yeah. such a cool thing. Well, so when I, when I got there, like I filled out a new patient form, and I was just waiting for the next chair to become available. And this older Indian woman comes up and like, hey, she hasn't been the on, and, but like, western clothes and tennis shoes and she was wondering if she could be if she could find a spot that day and there's it's fast enough turnover that they're able to accommodate people even last minute and they're like no we just don't have anything until almost three she's like okay i'll come back tomorrow and that to me like showed the beauty of that being a community space and for like uh like an activity that some people might think is hippy dippy Mm -hmm. but really it is for everybody um so i lay down in this lazy boy chair and he puts in the needles, like opens up a fresh pack of them, puts them in. And within three minutes, I fall asleep. It's really, in, like, it's really magical. Yeah. And I mean, it, obviously it doesn't work for every single person in the same way, but I um, really appreciated how it's sliding scale typically. Um, mm-hmm. Just so it's available to different people at different times, at least like, um, the community 
acupuncture place uh, near where I live. They have different deals at different times of the year too. So like there'll be a month that's for like folks who are in construction. Another month might be students. Another month might be, you know, it's just different ways to make it more accessible to folks. And yeah, same, same vibe. Um, And you're in a room with a bunch of lazy boys in a circle and there's such a diverse group of people in the room, Mm -hmm. like people who are clearly regulars, people who are there (laughs) for the first time and things like that. Um, I actually heard about it from Silaja the very first time I went because it was like my my first year in my master's program and I was like super depressed um, Mm -hmm. because it was shortly after I lost my cousin and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So I was just struggling hardcore and I was just experiencing like chronic pain at the same time so Mm -hmm. she suggested that as like a coping mechanism and yeah it just really helped it just also just helped to be away in a place that was just quiet um on on top of the actual benefits of acupuncture yeah so I heard about it from poor me because I was experiencing that like uh rash of anxiety earlier this year and she was like hey next time you're in St. Louis like you should check out this community acupuncture place and in St. Louis, um, it booked up really quickly. So there was no way I was going to be able to, to get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remembered it. It came to my mind during a class uh, on, when, on Monday. And I was like, oh, let me see if they have it here. Because they didn't have it in Columbia. And I, I was just like, I was super excited about it. I came back after sleeping for an hour and a half and like uh, stu- uh, tutored a friend of mine in statistics. Uh, we have our final tomorrow. Okay. Um, but... I asked if he wanted to go with me on Saturday because it's free acupuncture for five hours. That's amazing. Yeah. And like my friend otherwise wouldn't know that this existed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like trying to find ways to bond with my classmates and my section mates that doesn't revolve around alcohol and trying to be even more like finding different ways to be inclusive. Yeah, that sounds healthy. I mean, those, that's good. It's like, it sort of reminds me of, I think I was listening to an episode of Death, Sex and Money last week where someone had called in with a question about like, how do you deal with when the group of friends you hang out with choose activities that are really expensive? And this Mm -hmm. isn't quite the same example because, but a lot of their answers were also focused around like, like, what are options that are accessible for you that you can offer up that you're interested in? Acupuncture can be one of those. That's a good one. Yeah, exactly. And I also think about, um, mm-hmm. like, free events around Ann Arbor or walk, taking a walk, like something that's low cost that yeah. isn't, like, necessarily yeah. consuming a beverage or eating food. Um, something that, like, taps into wellness. It's hard. It's easy to forget that that's part of who you are. I wanted to share this fun fact with you, which is that, like, yeah. I believe acupuncture is covered under my health insurance, at yeah. least, like, partially for the first several visits. I haven't actually taken advantage of that benefit just yet, but it's mm-hmm. something, it's kind of hardening to see different healthcare plans starting to think about the role of different other modalities of health and wellness that are beyond, um, you know, that are just beyond um, the biomedicine sort of framework, biomedical framework. Sorry. I was like, what are words? It's past my bedtime. 
Uh, no, like I, I think a lot about um, how we actually exist in a multifaceted world and like the benefits of having different frameworks to okay. examine them. And so you're coming at it from like definitely a public health framework and thinking about inclusivity through public health. And I have been thinking a lot about the frameworks we're taught even in our first quarter and how that can either limit or broaden the way we perceive other experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, it, it's like the, the concepts of like sociolinguistics, but boil down to like the B-school experience. So uh, in strategy, for instance, we talk all about how a firm's strategy is to increase its bottom line or to increase profits. And I have a lot of problems with that being the fundamental way we view business. Mm-hmm. So something that Michigan Ross really prides itself on is using business to create change in the world and to be an instrument of good. And it seems to be disingenuous to that like subtext if we're learning in our core strategy classes that like essentially fuck everything else, we're gonna only focus on profit. So I've heard like like in multiple cases, like uh, business cases, we talk about why is that firm profitable but it's always at the expense of labor. And my argument is always like, well, why don't we care about labor? Um, and so for instance, we had a thread about, uh, sorry, a case about Threadless and talking about like how they do or don't pay their designers and it's based basically on voting. And um, mm-hmm. it to me, it seemed like labor exploitation. And I said that, I said like, just because people submit things for free for the opportunity for fame, like doesn't mean that it's not exploitative. It's akin to the free internship abusive labor market and only one other person uh, like vocally agreed that's with really me. bizarre i mean i mean it just i think it also plays into a broader social thing you know outside of your like b school context that really yeah. devalues the intellectual property of um artists and designers and just creative fields mm-hmm. in general that their creation is something that's easy you know like it's a perception that creation yeah. is easy. And then that's because people don't see mm-hmm. the work that goes in behind it. They see like, you know, the 10 mm-hmm. minutes of performance during someone's wedding or like they see the the card, um, mm-hmm. but they don't see all the, the work that went into it. And that yeah. is very similar yeah. to, to Threadless. And I mean, it also makes me think of how the way, uh, even though like the enamel pin trend has is more on the decline, um, it kind of that bubble burst a little bit. A lot of artists' work was stolen by Urban Outfitters, um, among other yeah. groups. Um, their their enamel mm-hmm. pin design, and like, what does it mean? Like, obviously, Urban Outfitters can produce these pins at a higher quantity and volume than like you know an indie designer they, they right. reach an economies of scale yeah they reach the mm-hmm. economies of scale mm-hmm. way quicker and they have the capacity to do that and so stealing like it makes it way more difficult for artists with minimal means to sue for their ip exactly their intellectual property exactly. like because of the volume and financing behind things like urban outfitters and zara they're able to squash like creativity um and I was able to, I had this conversation with multiple people that art takes time, energy, education, practice, and like it's a labor intensive mm-hmm. field, like all fields. But that labor is mm-hmm. very rarely compensated by consumers, by patrons. And 
it perpetuates this idea that it perpetuates the reality. It's not even an idea that artists with who come from money are the only ones who mm-hmm. are allowed mm-hmm. to succeed or allowed to they get space to fail or to like innovate or do whatever because middle to lower income artists don't their work is mm-hmm. not valued mm-hmm. it, and um i mean art music design these are also things where people like people who don't create also think that they're an expert everyone has an opinion about whether or not a musician was good. And it, it, people are entitled to opinions, but it, like it, it's different than, you know, people are less likely to have an opinion about an orthopedic surgeon, you know, and the quality of their yeah. work. They'll be like, yeah. well, oh, only really the peers or like the healthcare system can make a judgment regarding quality. And, you know, it's not like every uncle and auntie has two cents to say yeah. about the orthopedic surgeon's performance. Yeah. Uh, in the operating room. Yeah. Just whether or not you're one. I mean, and like, oh my God. So just like wondering what are I know you're having an enriching experience being with around like some some really excellent people but uh it's just I feel like there's so many other things that can be valued other than profit <laughs> right and like what are the oh, things sure. that are in your wish list that we would yeah. value more than profit like what are like rather than profit being the metric at which we judge success like what would be on your wish list actual sustainability and not just greenwashing uh, your firm. Um, so I read, I have read half of a book this summer talking about how uh, it's called donut economics and how our base understanding of economics okay. is so deeply flawed and we're not taking into account that there are finite resources at a, like, again, like your intro mm-hmm. micro class or macro class. We're not understanding that like labor is not a, a a resource that should be abused. We're not talking about like the environment. Like, yeah, we talk about negative externalities, but we talk about it financially as opposed to, oh, what happens when we run out of water? Like how can Anheuser-Busch or- Can you just define a negative externality for individuals who might not be familiar with econ? Externality, yes. I'm, hel- I'm just helping you out. I'm doing what this I can. This is actually really great. This is really great practice for my final. Um, a negative. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So a negative externality is essentially like the price that a firm pays for causing damage. So if we think about like a t-shirt factory that mm-hmm. puts water or like puts pollutants, it's runoff into a stream nearby. Yeah. It's not the actual act of creating that pollution, it's being caught and then being fined or being caught and having a class action lawsuit. 
And so that negative externality mm, is really okay. the extra cost of producing your good or your service in that fashion. And it like it shifts your supply and demand curves up and decreases your quantity and increases your price. So the reason that this is important is um, it's okay. a way to think about the impact of like taxes, for instance, like the quote unquote sin tax, uh, adding like a one cent uh, soda uh, tax on sodas or sweetened beverages. Is that really mm-hmm. um, a, is that really a negative like compensating for a negative externality or is it creating a positive externality, a positive externality, meaning that mm-hmm. what you're doing mm-hmm. to the product is beneficial for social welfare or for the good of the people? So that's a kind of a long-winded explanation to explain uh, the impact of negative, or like what negative externalities mean in a microeconomics class. Um, So, oh, so I was just going to say that I would love to talk about environmental sustainability, not just as a negative externality, but as a way to think about how your um, actual supply curve looks, or that labor should be part Mm -hmm. of both your supply Mm -hmm. and demand, that if you're not paying your labor well enough, how can they become demand customers? Or how is it that if you don't provide, like just thinking about it more comprehensively, or like, I know that the theoretical economics is not easy to boil down into a intro class, but even having that conversation, I think is really important. Like my brain goes to more like, I'm designed to uh, gravitate towards more la-di-da stuff. Not la-di-da stuff. That's downplaying the importance of things. But um, I guess softer metrics, Mm -hmm. like uh, who has decision-making power within a company structure how are challenges navigated as a team how do we engage or enable folks who may not have a voice to have a voice within a system like like more like around culture like I guess you could say company culture yeah 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 Yeah, no that's like I'd rather like talk about in strategy I guess I think it always comes down to a lot of people see either like the quantitative or you like the qualitative, but it doesn't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive, right? For sure. So this is something that we brought up towards the end of my strategy class. Um, So we have something called the five forces, which really is a basic framework to pick apart the power structures in in a firm and in, in, in an industry. So for instance, you have uh, a semiconductor firm and who are the suppliers that provide the raw resources for the semiconductor and then who buys that semiconductor and what are the barriers to new semiconductor businesses coming in who are the industry rivals so like are there other companies doing this currently and then what are your substitutes so things that you can replace for semiconductors which in this case are zero but if you're talking about toys a substitute would be playing outside watching tv digital media mm-hmm. etc So that's like the basic framework. And then we talk about scope. So like geographic scope, can this firm easily move abroad and for what reasons? And then business scope. So what is the hierarchy like? What is the structure of the company like? And then within that, we talk about incentives. So inside of uh, the business scope, what are the activities being done to um, get the most and best out of your employees or out of your service or goods? Uh, and we had a case looking at Massachusetts Financial Services, which is like a pretty big uh, mutual fund investor. And I didn't really care about that aspect, but what was really interesting was how divisive the idea of incentives were. 
So uh, MFS does a really interesting thing where they don't push what are called financial ulcers. They want everyone to really share in the profits or share in the uh, the culture and the curating, um, I guess, like a collaborative environment and a team that really cares about each other. And it was so fascinating to hear people arguing that all mutual fund firms should operate the exact same way. And uh, one of my best friends at school is recruiting for human capital or most widely known as HR. And we had this conversation after, after class and she was so angry that folks were viewing labor and talent as one dimensional and easily replaced, as opposed to understanding that like people make the culture. And she's, she's like, so if you don't think that culture is important, then why even come to Ross? What's the difference between here and Wharton then? Or here at mm -hmm, Harvard? Mm -hmm. And um, that was really fascinating to think about. Yeah, I mean, and it sucks. Like if the, if the more like, I feel like any, if any of those people zoomed out a little bit and just thought about themselves as humans operating in like their daily <laughs> lives, like that mode of yep. thinking just turns people into machines. Like if you if like yeah. if you don't value the people who are coming in and what they bring to the table, mm -hmm. it's then and or you think that every single person can replace another person. <laughs> um, yeah. Then we're just really no different than like the sheer equipment that allows us to manufacture stuff, you know? Yeah. So I just had my accounting final tonight and I'm thinking like PPE or plants, property and equipment is considered an asset, but human labor is not mm -hmm. um, for like the definition of assets, which is a um, uh, something that has probable economic benefit. Uh, that's under your control and results from a past transaction. Mm -hmm. But like humans are not under anybody's control. And human labor, like the labor itself can create probable economic benefit, but the humans themselves cannot. So it's really interesting that we, like through another business lens, we're not the same as machines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yet we like think that we should facilitate that. Yeah, we should be that. Yeah, yeah. Hi everyone, in the next segment, Sheila and I are talking about sexual assault and violence in the United States. If the recent conversations across the country about Me Too have been difficult for you to process and you just prefer not to engage with that content, feel free to jump ahead to the next segment. Um, the next segment begins at 32 minutes and 30 seconds. Just kind of to draw these business lessons learned into like the current social political context mm -hmm. is that if we view as everybody as replaceable like i mean that's that's sort of why we have uh the harvey weinsteins of the world like yes i mean okay just Pause content warning for like sexual assault and violence if this is a trigger for anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, if Harvey Weinstein is a trigger for anyone, um, which it is for many folks, just um, skip over the next few minutes in the editing process. I'll be more specific with, with timings. The reason Harvey Weinstein's can exist to an extent is that women the, are inherently replaceable. Um, there's like the underlying belief is one 
woman's body or a femme body to acknowledge the violence that like trans women and non-binary individuals mm-hmm. experience um, mm-hmm. is equivalent to another or isn't an asset. I don't know. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm stretching. Like I'm not familiar enough with the business jargon to, okay. to make, to use those words to make my point. But I, I no, think, I think that like there is something there that, the more we internalize these ways of seeing people and how they fit into our economy in a particular way, that also feeds into like how you operate outside of work too, to a certain extent. So I think that, I think a business analogy would be like the idea that women are commodities that were easily substitutable. Like people who identify as women or present as women, um, that they're all the same thing when instead every single person has the ability to quote-unquote decommoditize themselves and we refuse to acknowledge that collectively as a society and it's incredibly frustrating and it's tiring um i don't know how i want to know how you were processing the the harvey weinstein stuff because i was just exhausted even thinking about it it brought me back to the 2015 legislative uh, session in Missouri and that women will just never be like it just seems like we are constantly hitting this wall of like why can't you trust us when we say like when we collectively tell our truth and it was like really deeply upsetting that like even in like in our personal relationships that women still aren't trusted when they're telling somebody that they have been assaulted like, I don't, I don't understand what people think women have to gain by admitting, you, you know what I, like by quote unquote lying about something. Yeah. Like, what's the incentive? What is the payout? Nothing. Yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, I, I've been feeling a lot like you, which is exhausted. Um, it, you know, it's it's hard to see a lot of friends suffer, um, both in sharing what has happened to them in their own lives and their experiences with sexual assault and violence, and also knowing that there's so many people that didn't feel comfortable speaking out because it isn't safe mm-hmm. for people to speak out about these things. So, I mean... Like, it makes me think about, um, I was thinking a lot about, like, Bollywood a lot, just because, you know, (coughs) Harvey Weinstein and the film connection. So, like, I I was thinking a lot about the ways actresses like Kangana Ranaut have been, like, ostracized Mm -hmm. or critiqued for speaking against um, kind of those the ways they have been manipulated and abused by people who control the casting couch in Bollywood. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I guess I didn't see, I like, I saw a couple dudes in my timeline, like being supportive and saying like the things that they were going to do so that this wouldn't happen. But it's just like, I don't know. 
I read it, you know, yeah. So um, two things to respond to that. Um, I'm fortunately like in a position at school to actually do something Mm -hmm. um, in response to this. So I'm the diversity and inclusion director, which means like the VP essentially of that role for Michigan business women, which is one of the largest organizations at the business school. And something I've been thinking about even before all this stuff broke was doing a workshop on understanding workplace harassment. So like, how do you start recording? How do you deal with HR? What constitutes harassment? How does that change legally from state mm-hmm. to state, et cetera? Um, and now it seems more imperative. So it's something I'm gonna work on during break, but uh, there's a Michigan businesswoman allies arm and it's for men or people who feel like they can ally themselves or uh, ally themselves with people identify as women. And uh, they really want to do a sub-module or like a breakout session for allies to talk about what it's like to mentor women or have like a professional relationship and what are healthy things that they can mm-hmm. do. Um, there's a business professor that looks at masculinity in the workplace. Mm. Right? And so it's like, how can we actually create a healthy conversation that prepares us for the workplace? Because you can get all these different leadership skills and quant skills but when you're actually there, what yeah, happens? Yeah, and I. So that's like a tangible step that I wanted to put forth. No, that's a really good one, and I think a thing that I would keep in mind is that, like, I hope. See, hmm, sometimes ally spaces. I hope, like, what I like about this example is that the ally group is looking towards the, you know, the group they're allying with, (laughs) um, for guidance, Mm -hmm. um, but rather than Mm -hmm. just kind of operating in their own space, like to take an example Mm -hmm. of surge and racial justice, uh, like the reason a lot of people don't like standing up for racial justice or surge is because it's a lot of white folk in a room talking about feelings without without looking to black leaders for guidance about how to show up for racial justice. I'm not saying that is the case across the country, but more often than not, like the, um, the black women I know who have been organizing, um, their communities have noted this as an issue. So like mm-hmm. it, I think that's why I, I liked your examples because it's, it's hopefully not going to be operating in a vacuum. It's not like just, it, it's going to be shaped by the broader context of like the rest of the folks in the group. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then I saw only a handful of guys on my timeline, um, talk about the Me Too uh, conversation. And this uh, white guy who I worked with uh, like very loosely in Jet City, uh, he ends his little thing with, so I'll do my best to correct that stuff. I'm not a harasser or abuser, but I'm also not a wide-eyed innocent. I'll do my best. Which to me, it's like, you don't actually know if you've assaulted or harassed somebody. So I don't know why you're gonna make that claim. But on top of that, I left a very action-oriented comment. I said, Talk to your self-identifying guy friends, be more about masculinity, help deconstruct the violence that men perpetrate on themselves, 
Create resources for your friends that are uncomfortable talking about themselves and why rigid gender norms and expectations hurt them too. Talk to your self-identifying gal friends. Read more about feminism, especially third wave, black and global south perspectives. Amplify their voices to normalize their place in the world. Integrate this perspective in your work and life. Understand reproductive justice frameworks and how that actually helps families and society listen. And then I ended it with a heart to let him know that it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be like off-putting. I just wanted to add real things he could That's do. That's a solid response, Shields. I like that a lot. Yeah, I like thanks. that a lot. Um, can I tell you what else has been on my mind? Yeah, um, I've been thinking, as usual, I've been thinking about our best friend in the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte. Um, <laughs> BFS forever. No, okay, so it was prompted by, like, I was reading an article today, as I want to do, about how the opioid crisis in the United States Mm. is people are forgetting that there are other epidemics that are intertwined with um, opioid overdoses such as hepatitis such as HIV and it also has a lot to do with um, the United States stance on needle exchange programs um in different communities like so there's a really really nice new york times retro report on the war on drugs and i love it because it gives a real nice historical context about like the war on drugs to now and how needle exchange programs in baltimore were deeply unpopular with some people but they were effective right and so the thing is with needle exchange programs some people don't like them because they think it's just supporting addicts in, um, with actually, I guess that's the wrong terminology because, sorry, like as I am like learning more about handling uh, addiction and from a public health context, sometimes I end up using wrong language. So, Hey, you're working on it. That's what matters. You're actively growing and trying to be more inclusive. Yeah. So I guess, I guess the better way to say is that some people think that needle exchanges are enabling habits of people with addiction. Whereas someone from a health perspective might say that needle exchanges ensure that people aren't spreading other infectious diseases. And the terminology for this that people use is like syndemic that like there, there's a synergy between opioid use and these other diseases that they compound the the impact on a community's health. And so um, the article I was reading specifically looked at uh, county-level data in Massachusetts where there is actually pretty decent tracking and you can kind of see those patterns. But to connect it to our best friend in Southeast Asia, Rodrigo Duterte, um, there they're experiencing the same problem. Like they're experiencing a rise in tuberculosis and hepatitis and HIV because they've been shutting down needle exchange programs 
Um, and also because they've just literally been killing people. Uh, as a quick refresher, like, Sheila and I totally broke the news that the president <laughs> of the Philippines was bad news bears for everyone. I mean, I'm just waiting for our Pulitzer. I know! God damn it. I'm going to keep saying it. Elmira Radio Hour broke the news that Duterte was the Trump of Southeast Asia. Anyway, in his war on drugs, thousands of people have literally died. And so you have this issue where clearly no one learned from the American war on drugs, which was a massive failure. It's, it's just like, it just baffles my mind. Um, it just baffles my mind. A lot of people ask me, what is the difference, Nina, between global health and public health? Isn't global health just stuff that happens in third world countries? No, friends. Global health is the same thing that is drawing parallels between what happens wherever you are in the world. This is a perfect example. But it happens differently because they're poor and brown. Exactly, 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 <laughs> exactly. No, I didn't mean, I, I'm not at all implying that <laughs> those factors... super sarcastic. Not, okay, not at all implying that those factors don't shape how these things are experienced, but there's no reason for quote-unquote developed countries like the United States to be on some sort of righteous high horse when it comes to this, right? Like, I mean, the Flint water crisis is another one. I mean, wash issues, water sanitation hygiene issues are like basic necessities, you know? Um, they're like the first thing people uh, focus on to prevent infectious diseases from spreading, to ensure the health and well-being of children and mothers. Like, but we can't even assure that in the United States. Anyway. Just, well, we can't assure that in Flint. We can't like actually help the citizens of Puerto Rico who are American citizens. We are, don't think about the impact that the opioid crisis has had on HIV rates in Indiana yep. or how the opioid crisis has actually weakened the manufacturing sector especially in the midwest and rust belt because they can't like factories are ready to open mm -hmm. and they're ready to have people work but they can't depend on folks to even show up consistently mm -hmm. because of the addiction and like the rampant access to drugs mm -hmm. and like lack of like policy work to make it to help assuage that problem so it's like, we don't think about these things as interlinked or a pattern across the world. And it sucks. It really does suck. And incarceration is not the solution. It just simply isn't. Oh my God, we're almost, it's almost been a year since the election. I know. <laughs> ah, I know. Sheila. Yeah. I think about that very frequently. We're sort of making it. I don't know. I don't know. Like what? what? I said sort of. Like I feel like there are a lot. There's a lot of variation in day to day. Like what the fuck's actually happening? Yeah, I I don't I don't know. Like I mean, sessions last week on like removing trans protections, uh, workplace protections. Yep. So you know, like under the Obama administration they used sexual identity uh, to also include gender identity. Like, if, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, which doesn't make sense, but like they used, they, they like had a nice interpretation, a generous interpretation that like allowed 
you know, trans folks to feel protected when they're in the workplace, but that doesn't exist. When I saw that announcement, I thought of the meme, uh, like I thought of this meme, but focusing, centering it along the Missouri legislature, can't remove workplace protections if you didn't have them in the first place. Yeah. Because Missouri and Michigan and a lot of other states don't actually have protections for, uh, legal protections for, uh, uh, sexual identity or sexual orientation and gender identity. And good news though, California actually recognized, like just passed a law that would allow folks to include like a third, you know, alternative gender identity on their personal documents if they did not identify as a man or a woman. So for folks who are not non-binary, they have an option in California, which is pretty incredible. That is really incredible. It's huge. Um, I was going to say, Michigan just got rid of campaign finance caps. (laughs) Like, well, the good news with Michigan is, is that um, Jocelyn Benson just announced her candidacy for um, secretary of state. And I'm very excited. Tell me more. I'm very excited about this. So Jocelyn Benson was on the ticket in 2010. Yeah, she was on the Democratic ticket in 2010 for Secretary of State uh, when Verge Bernero was running for governor. He was the former mayor of East Lansing. East Lansing or Lansing, I don't remember. Um, And he was running against Snyder. But because, like, a lot of people vote straight ticket, even if you liked Jocelyn Benson, she wouldn't have won, you know? And so what's really great about her is that she um, has had a long connection with the Southern Poverty Law Center. So that's cool. She also has been very active in terms of voter rights and voter access, particularly for students. Solid. She uh, was the dean of Wayne Law School, Wayne State University, University's Law School for a brief period of time, which is also really neat. Um, wow. And she did good work there. And um, right now, she I think she works for an organization called RISE, which I don't know what the acronym stands for, but she does a lot of work around racial justice in sports, among other things. I mean, it works. it's very embedded in the sports industry, but but she's able to touch on a lot of topics that go beyond sports. But like, she also just straight up knows her stuff. And in Michigan, we've just had really shitty voting rights laws for forever. So it'd be, it'd be really great to have someone, someone like actually who cares about these issues, who actually knows about it, who is actually like trained in law, you know? Um, to, to, hey, to be hey, that person. Don't knock it. I mean, you don't need to actually have experience or expertise to run stuff. That's what I've learned. I know. <laughs> if that's, yeah, if the there's novelty. anything the last year has taught me is that I can be anything I want. <laughs> right? Um, so speaking of not having any expertise, I need to get back to studying. I have three more finals this week. Sounds good. Good luck. You'll be great. Thank you.
And that's our episode. Thanks for joining us. If you've liked what you've heard, you can always leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can find us online at almiraradiohour.com or on Facebook at Almira Radio. You can find Sheila on Twitter at Queen of Blah, and you can find me, Nina, at Only Nina. Until next time. <laughs>